We're going to be in a special passage, which is a rescue mission kind of passage, which is why we chose it. And it also talks a bit about why we have this communion table today. I have a bit of a raspy voice, uh, so if I, whatever, but I'm, I'm, I'm on intravenous cough drops and all that stuff. So. <laughs> Traveling with Jesus, seeking and saving the lost. And Christ Jesus, that was what he did. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Isn't it great to watch people come to faith and grow in their faith and, and you see the transformation of a life? I mean, that's the story of King's Chapel. I mean, the story of watching people coming from all kinds of sin and brokenness and all of a sudden they're living a new life. They're not doing the old stuff anymore. There's always that imperfection in us, but to see the perfection of Christ's transformation taking place is phenomenal. And that's what we see in the passage this morning. Jesus Christ is out seeking and saving that which is lost. And uh, let me get my little clicker out here because i got to have that too. <laughs> okay, I think we can click our way here. You can see the, the artist's rendition of what it means to lie down and, and recline while you're eating and then your feet sticking out the back of the recliner. And that's where... This dear lady took her place at the feet of Christ. Uh, let's see. I think. <coughs> it doesn't seem like that. It, okay, right. So he was having dinner, as you, Pastor, read, in a Pharisee's house. He was an invited but dishonored guest. Now, he was asked to come in. There was no welcome kiss, no foot washing, no soothing oil. It was a very cold and kind of discourteous invitation. And that's not altogether what sometimes Christ gets today, if wherever he's going, you know. He's tolerated, they'll listen to you a little bit, but you're not that special. And so he was invited to a Pharisee's house, In one verse in Luke 11, it says, The scribes and Pharisees began to press him hard to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. They were hunting for him most of the time. If you were invited to a Pharisee's house, get out of the way. You were under a microscope. They were looking for anything that that you might say that they could pin on you and use against you and, if necessary, kill you. And that's what eventually happened when they brought out all the things that they thought they had and then they tried to frame him. Jesus, what are you doing there, man? You walked into the, into the fox, into the fox's lair. You walked into a very bad place. Yep, I did. He turned that around more times than I can ever, you can ever read, you read in the New Testament. He is coming in as to be the victim. And then he starts speaking the wisdom of God, and it blows them all away. And he's going to do that today. He's just so good at it. You can't invite Jesus Christ in without him taking charge. I'm so thankful when Jesus shows up, aren't you? Whether it's in your life, or it's in the life of kings, or in the life of somewhere else. When Jesus comes, he shows up in a big way, and he did at this time. But Pharisees need Jesus, too. And they need the light, even though they had the original light, as it were. But they needed to hear what Christ had to say. And he often went there 
under almost in the lair of the enemy to share with them what it really means, that they would never have an excuse. And many of them later came to Christ uh, after he was gone. Many Pharisees and leaders of the Jews actually came to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. So it was good. He's an invited but dishonored guest. And I pray, dear Lord, that in this room, whether it's not today or it will be, that everybody in this room, your heart is in, it's, it's a place of Jesus being honored. He is the honored guest. And anything you need to do to make him know that honor that you're giving him, we're going to do it. And that's our heart. And we sang that beautiful song today of honoring Christ. That was beautiful. Music here, I don't know, it's just getting better and better and better and better. It's great music. Thank you, music team, for what you did today. Well, everybody expected Jesus Christ to be there. Uh, He was invited. He always seemed to show up when he was invited to be with the Pharisees. But what happens next is what's not necessarily scripted by the Pharisee. And that's an uninvited guest shows up. A woman of the city, she learned he was reclining in the Pharisee's house, but she was a sinner. Of course, we're all kind of sinners, aren't we? <laughs> we're all sinners. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it wasn't unusual for somebody like this to show up because in, in these Pharisees' homes where they had these theological lunches and arguments and the townspeople could come in around quietly and either sit on the edges or kind of be there and see what was going on and hear what these theologues were arguing about. And they could listen. And she came in under that kind of open hospitality rule, as long as you didn't make a nuisance of yourself, you could come in. And that's where she was. But the Bible says that she was called a sinner. And when it's used this term in the New Testament and other places... That means that she had really groveled in her sin. She had really gotten into major sin in her life. Most, most scholars believe that she's probably a prostitute in the town, a woman who struggled with immorality, and she had gone on to have quite a reputation. And she's now in the house where Jesus is, which is not typical for her to do. And so she's there. She shows up, the uninvited guest. It's kind of like going to a family reunion, and somebody says, Oh, who's that pulling up? Who, who invited, you know, Uncle Al here? Oh, my. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, who let him in? And everybody's on high alert, like, oh, I hope he doesn't stay long, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Of course, you've never gone to family reunions like that, but I've been at some, and I'm thinking, wow, that's something I didn't want to talk about, man. <coughs> she was a sinner. She knew what it was to grovel and live in sin. I've seen people come to the city mission and very sheepish and shy, knowing that they're beaten down already and they're broken and wondering if there's just one more place of rejection. And it's always wonderful to see a time when they'll come in and they find Christ. (laughs) Through all the brokenness and all the trauma that we even have as, as workers at the city mission to go through to help, I'm thankful when I see transformation. And we're thankful that in this room today, I could point out and talk to people, there's been transformation here. Powerful, Christ-centered transformation. So she's there. She's seeking Jesus as her Savior. What is she really doing there? You ever ask that question? You might, you might have read this passage. What is she doing there? I mean, she's not 
her lifestyle and Christ's lifestyle is just, there's, there's nothing in, in common. Later in the passage, three verbs will come out to tell us the story of why. You don't need to look at that. But there's two forgivenesses and a salvation verb in the end of this passage. And they're all in the beautiful Greek language in which we get our English translation. They're all in the perfect tense. You say, what does that mean? Well, perfect tense is something that happens in the past that has present day uh, value. It's, it's, it's good for today. It happened then, but it's now cemented in the present. And I would have to say in your future, too. It's a beautiful tense in the Greek language. But later when Christ declares to the Pharisee that her sins have been forgiven, and then he looks straight in her eyeballs and says, your sins are forgiven. They have been. The perfect tense. They have been forgiven. So I'm going to tell you right now, this lady came in here, not just out of curiosity, because Jesus Christ had forgiven her and saved her very soul somewhere out on the streets. And I'm thinking, Lord, thank you. Love me with the perfect tense. Meet me and then stay with me and love me and give me strength and power. And that's what she found. She was there to thank Jesus Christ. Everybody else and all the sneers and jeers and all the looking down at me, that was out of her mind. She came for one purpose. I'm going to give you my life, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to tell you how much I love you and I'm going to honor you. And when you get somebody doing that, get out of the way. You find somebody that's bent on honoring Jesus Christ because of what he did for them and the brokenness that he had torn them from and given them. I love being around people like that. Some people hate being around people like that. I've been with relatives. That person has to be so religious. All they do is talk about Jesus, 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 Jesus. I'm going to say, yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> I have relatives who will say that. And I'll say, yeah, yeah, because they love the Lord Jesus. They love the Lord Jesus. And this woman loved the Lord Jesus. He had saved her very soul out in the streets of those villages. He was the one person who didn't want to use her up, to condemn her, to take everything she had and was from her soul. But he gave to her new life. He didn't make her feel empty when he left her, but he fulfilled her very soul with the redemption that he only has. And, and that's the story that we have, isn't it? <laughs> she was sorry for her sin. How do we know that? Well, the Bible says she was standing behind his feet weeping. I, I don't know about you, but I love this verse as I was reading it. And I see her at his feet, and tears start to come down. Maybe slow at first. But the Greek text says it's brexo, brexo, brexo. And I'm thinking, yes. All throughout the New Testament, it's used about rain. If you were driving like I was last night in Terrytown, New York, I didn't know where I was. There's no lights on. The rain is beating down on the truck. And I'm thinking, where are we here? I'm going to hit somebody. The rain was pouring down. But she started to cry. They were tears of repentance. There were tears of Jesus, where, what did I do for so long? And look at what you've done to my life. You have set me free. I've been in bondage and guilt. I felt the filth of my sin. And you saved me. And then she started to cry and she couldn't turn it off. There was a sobbing cry. 
and the rain started to come down. And the Bible calls it rain, brexel. It, it's coming down on her feet, on his feet. And she can't stop it. Oh, Lord, thank God for tears we can't stop. That we just can't turn on and turn off. Jesus Christ. She was sorry for her past and joyful about her future and forgiveness and a new relationship with Christ. The repentance and the joy that she found in Christ is overwhelming. Oh, Lord, overwhelm us with your grace. That's what we need. I've watched grown men that could tear my brains out. Look like they've been in prison lifting weights their entire life. You know, they have huge arms. I watch them sit on the front row of the mission. I get down and talk to them. And they say, Pastor, you don't know the kind of nasty life I've been living. You wouldn't even want to sit here with me if you knew what I've been doing. Can God forgive me? And I say, yes, he can. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. Forgive us for all our sin. Cleanse us. And so I sat there. And then this big old monster man will sit there and he'll start crying. And he can't stop. <laughs> it's okay. Let him cry. Let the Lord show tears. Because he loves our tears. Especially the tears of repentance. And that's where she was. I'm just going. I'm going to. I'm just going to take. One second to. Or a moment here. At this, at this time in the synoptic gospels. In other words putting Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all together. In a kind of order of chronology. Matthew talks about this time period where Christ is in Upper Galilee, is where, where we believe this is taking place. And he's out on the streets, and he gives this beautiful, this beautiful invitation. Right around the same time, he says, Come unto me. Isn't that great? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. If I have it up here. Yep. And I will give you rest. Boy, what did she need? She needed rest. Her soul was not at rest. She's out on the street, and then all of a sudden, the Messiah speaks, and he says, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yes, that's what I need. I am totally, I have no rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And Jesus Christ called the homeless, the needy, the broken, the sinners to himself publicly. And I believe at some point that's where she was. She says, yes. I've never heard words like this before. I've never been under an invitation like this before. I give you my heart, Jesus. And maybe he's talking to your heart today. You came in here. You're not part of his, part, part, you're, not, you're not part of him. You haven't given your heart to him. Boy, he's been out there. He's been inviting and she opened her heart door to Christ. And that's kind of where we are at this point in this passage. She was serving the Lord from a grateful heart. She stood behind him, weeping. Brexel, rain coming down. She began to wet his feet with her hair, tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. Which again is something that women didn't do. They didn't take their hair down like that. It was... It was it was considered to be an act of great immodesty. And then she kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. All those things should have been done to Christ by the Pharisees' home, but nobody did anything. 
just a simple kiss of a kiss of just you're welcome here. We're glad you're here. Every time I go to my Greek relatives, they all kiss me one here and one here. <laughs> I think it could. Not sure totally what the Greeks always meant by that, but it was supposed to mean we're glad to see you. It's good to be here. And as a young man, as a young boy, I had Greek women kissing me on the cheek, and I always thought, "Oh, oh, really? Okay, yeah, that's that's what happened." <laughs> but my mother, Osotera Nikolopoulos, that's the great, that's the Greek family she came up in. But Jesus was there, and this woman was kissing his feet as an act of absolute honor and adoration. She took his place at his feet. She wasn't up by the head announcing anything or trying to be anything. She just was saying, I'm a servant, Lord. How can I serve you? It looks like nobody did any hospitality for you. I'll be the hospitality committee today for you, Lord Jesus. She washed his feet. She used her hair as a towel. She gave the glory of her hair to Christ. She kissed his feet and she anointed them in the dry, arid streets of the village. She did it. Praise the Lord. But whenever this happens, you're always going to have uh, the self-righteous host. Now, we, we've seen the invited guest, but not honored. We've seen the uninvited guest, like who let you in here? And now we see the self-righteous host. He looks at Jesus, he says, in his heart. Now, he's not, he's not, not going to say it. But he says, huh, huh, if this man were the prophet that they say he is, huh, he would have known what sort of trash this is. He wouldn't even touch her. We wouldn't touch her. I, I, I am totally, totally annoyed that she's in my, my house. Somebody give her the door and get her out of here. That's in his heart. He's not saying that outward. He's saying that. Oh, Lord. He's saying, Jesus, you're a fraud. You're not real. I knew you weren't real anyway. We invited you in here to kind of trip you up. But you're not a prophet. Because if you had known a few things, like a prophet's supposed to know, you would have known what to do with this situation. Never let her touch you. You probably would have just cast her out and say, get out of here. You are worthless. You, sh- you have no place here. Uh, but you know what? Jesus does know. Isn't it wonderful that he does? I, I want to say to Simon, Simon, your arms, they look a little too, too short to be boxing with the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> you better be out of there, man. You're big time out of your league. <laughs> Because he already knows what she is. He knows every sin this woman has ever committed. He knows every lewd act, every immorality that she's been involved with, and he loves her and will save her and forgive her. It's the only reason you can be a rescue mission director today. Because you know that God Almighty loves everybody in that room, no matter what their heart is and the fact that they're in their sin. He knows, Simon, and he knows how to meet her need. And he knows where she'll be in all eternity. But he also knows you, Simon. So be careful. (laughs) He starts playing mental chess with you, boy. You'll be checkmated before you even get started. He is not a fraud. He is the great savior of my life. And I dare not play mental chess with him. I 
better submit. Say, Lord Jesus, it's enough that you know who I am. Nothing surprises you about me. You love me, and I'm just giving you my heart. I'm just going, I, I surrender. I submit. I'm out-leagued. But Simon isn't there yet. Maybe he'll get there. But he also, he looks down on her. Pharisees had no, they had no admiration. They had nothing for those, that level of sin. They just felt like they were the scum of the earth. They were unredeemable and get out. The last point, kind of, we, we have some time here, but uh, giving grace. Aren't you, God, aren't you glad that Christ gave grace? That's what he came to do. He came, yes, to be a guest in an unhonored position, but he also came to be grace. Because he's full of grace, and he's full of truth. And the one person that could come here and condemn us, and line our sins all up, and show everybody those sins, and knows every one of them intently and intensely, is the one person he says he did not come to condemn us, but to save us. And Lord, thank you. I need your grace, your unmerited, undeserved favor, Thank you for saving my soul. When I was 14, uh, I came to know Jesus Christ in Queemans Hall in New York on a kitchen floor of a traveling salesman who was also kind of a guy who would later go out and, and start a beautiful... I just talked to him. He's my spiritual father from Florida, and he, uh, he's thrilled about what he's seeing in my life. I said, but it's the Lord. But he saved my soul. I got on my... He, he gave the gospel to me. I didn't know Christ... And he got on the floor that night, and he said, I didn't think you were ever getting up. <laughs> but I, I did get up, and I've been walking for Christ, not perfectly. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. And he's now there to give grace. He teaches about forgiveness. Uh, that's an extended passage, uh, him, him teaching about forgiveness. But he, he looks over at Simon. Now, Simon's doing this mental thing. He's no good. He's a fraud. I knew he wasn't any good. And he says, Simon, I've got something I want to talk to you about. <laughs> Might as well let everybody else know we've been talking here openly. Okay, yeah, sure. Say it. Go ahead. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, which is about $40,000 in our day's wages today. And the other owed 50000 or excuse me, about 4000 He 50 denarii. When they could not pay... He canceled the debt of both. Which of them will love him more? The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And that probably was hard getting out. <laughs> Those words got all jumbled up in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, see that? He knows a lot. and He just, he just turned you upside down, man. <laughs> you were boxing with Jesus, and he won. When they came in, they said, remember one day they said, should we give our taxes to Caesar? He said, well, bring me a coin there. So he said, oh, he said, who's that picture? He said, that's Caesar. He said, well, render to Caesar, that which is Caesar's, and to God, that which is God. He said they went out totally flabbergasted, basically. Like, ah, here we, he always seems to trick us when we're trying to trick him. He always seems to put us in hard place. I said, yep, that's Jesus. You get close to him and you are outmatched. Simon. 
There was a debt. Both of them could not pay. Terrible when you have to go to a debtor and say, I don't have any money, but I do have a bill. The Bible says that we've all sinned against the very glory of God, and we have a debt, an amazing debt against the righteousness of God. We have decided to live our own life of sin. We've decided not to obey him, whether it be the Ten Commandments or our hearts obeying him as he calls us to do what we're supposed to do and as we know the will of God in whatever way that will be. We're condemned. We're in our sin. We can't pay the debt. Sinners can't pay their own debt. We can't. It's not of works lest anyone should boast. It's God Almighty has to pay the debt through his son, and that's what happened on Calvary. He paid the debt. A debt we could not pay. He paid it. And Lord, thank you. So both of these, $4,000, $40,000, they both owed it and couldn't pay it. And aren't you glad Jesus paid your debt? <laughs> I don't want to stand before God Almighty. Talk about who's out leaguing who. I want to stand before the Lord someday and he says, you rejected my offer of full payment on your sin, and now you stand there in debt for all eternity. I don't want to be there. Simon, who, who has the greater love? And she had the greater love. It was expressed that day to everybody that could see. She loved him so much that all she could think of doing was just at least being there at his feet and doing whatever thing that he called her to do or that could be done. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then he commends her authentic love in front of everybody. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And in the perfect tense, it really could say, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. You look at her as some filthy woman, debt-ridden, get her out of here. I'm looking at her and I'm saying, she's clean. She's forgiven. She's not the same as you know her and her reputation. She is my child. And I'm going to tell her, I declare her forgiveness in front of every one of you. Wow, that is power. Woo. best thing Christ can say to you is you're forgiven. As you read his word and you say, man, all my sins, every one of them, all the debts that I cannot pay before the Lord. If people realized in their hearts what that meant, they'd run to Christ. And she, she's now found that the one who crept in, anonymous, despised by everybody in the room except Christ, is now been officially declared forgiven permanently. Thank you. Well, she loved much, but he was forgiven literal, like loves literal. He, he looked at a woman, and the, the Bible actually said, you see this woman? And I, her. I entered your house, you gave me no water. And she wet her feet, my feet with her tears, she wiped them with her hair, gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil, and very, uh, very expensive. Uh, she repented. And then, the most beautiful thing, the most precious thing that Jesus Christ can do for you and me, just happens. For all of us are seated and sit in on He looks at the woman and he's 
sharing them the good news and the love of Jesus Christ. And uh, I love this passage because I see myself in this passage. And I know that how he treated her is the way he treated me and how he forgave me. So I go out with that same message so that people will say, yes, I love Jesus, man, and my service to him is going to be a result of his salvation of my very soul. incident, this narrative that has taken place uh, 2,000 years ago to teach us that, yes, we are all sinners. Help us to see how great our sin is, but how greater your grace is. And Father, may the reality that our sins, past, present, and future, has been buried with Jesus, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and now we can be declared forgiven. So, Father, as a church and as we sing, as, as we celebrate, help us to confess to you our sins. Help us to repent of our sins. And then help us to celebrate sins forgiven as we partake of this bread and drink of this cup together as your children. Father, we love you. And we're asking that you would do that great work in our heart. That we would love you more each and every day. And that, Father, we would not remain silent, but go into this world declaring the good news of the gospel and demonstrating in love. As this, as this woman has done, uh, Lord, may we do it as well. Just caring, loving, and, and proclaiming the gospel. So we love you. We look forward to what you're going to do as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.